Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. Anybody who really takes the time to get to know me uh, will, will also learn that I have a particular fondness for the author A.A. A. Milne, uh, based on the bedtime stories that he used to tell his own son, whose name was Christopher Robin, the world received the wonderful world of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, now, my admiration for Milne doesn't necessarily stem from his uh, fascinating uh, plot lines and storytelling abilities. Uh, it, it's the dialogue of his characters that I love, uh, because from out of the lips of these fictional characters, um, we find some of the most profound and wise statements that, that I think I have ever heard. Um, and, and yet statements that have all the simplicity that even a little child can, can grab onto them and understand them. And one of those quotes that Christopher Robin speaks to Winnie the Pooh goes like this. He says, Promise me you'll always remember. You're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. Right? With these words, he is telling Pooh Bear, who is often down on his, his brains and his abilities, um, that, that he should never underestimate himself. Right? And that's a message that can resonate with us pretty well. Um, right? Milne's assessment here is definitely that of an idealist, but it isn't without truth. People often tend to estimate themselves, or un- underestimate themselves, right? Underestimate um, their, their abilities underestimate their, their, their mental uh, strength, underestimate um, some of the other capabilities that they have in life. And so when we understand this fully, uh, that yes, we underestimate ourselves, yes, we often underestimate other people, we also want to remember that it's sort of a, a two-way street, right? It's not just that we underestimate the positive and good things that we do. Um, it's also true that we can sometimes underestimate our uh, capabilities, our capacities for, for sin, our, our capacities for, for evil and for wickedness. Uh, and as we read our story from Matthew today, continuing this series on the life of Jesus as we find it in the Gospel of Matthew, as we uh, read this story today, Jesus does reveal for us how we tend to underestimate ourselves. Um, we under under assess ourselves in a a few different ways but there's also another implication in all of this Uh, we also tend to underestimate the person of jesus the messiah and so today we are going to uh, just start out by walking through the the verses that we read in our gospel lesson just a few moments ago from matthew 5. Um, this is a part of jesus famous parable called the sermon on the mount so this is a sermon that he spoke to many, many, many people who had gathered around him on the hillside, right? It's a a long sermon that Jesus preached that had a lot to do with the lives that we live and and lives of righteousness, okay? Um, The point of this, though, is one that maybe 
you have never really considered before as we just look at the depth and the capacities at which, uh, with which we can underestimate ourselves. So we're going to read here, starting out with verse 21. Uh, so Jesus is speaking all of these words that we're going to read. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Uh, now, as we walk through these verses, you're going to notice a pattern that pops up again and again and again. Okay, it's the phrase, you have heard it said, followed shortly thereafter by Jesus saying, but I tell you. Okay, so uh, whenever you see this pattern, first you should think of uh, the Pharisees and the other religious teachers of that day, okay? Um, those were the ones that Jesus was really talking about when he used that phrase, you have heard it said, uh, because the Pharisees were the ones who would enforce these very specific commandments um, among the Jewish peoples. And yes, some of those were commandments given by God, but some of them, the Pharisees had made up themselves in an effort to become more holy and to look more holy. Um, and yet, as the Pharisees emphasized one command or one aspect of a command, uh, they sometimes, a, sometimes they did so um, to the, the neglect of other commands, and they very frequently neglected the deeper heart even of the command that they were enforcing, okay? So that phrase, you have heard it said, is then followed by the deeper command, the even deeper law of Christ, which always aims at the heart and at the motive of individuals, right? So in the case of these first few verses, uh, we see that the act of murder was something that was condemned by the Pharisees, right? And we would say, good, it should be. Uh, but they said nothing of the hatred and the bitterness of a human heart from which those acts of murder would spring. Jesus, though, says that even to hate or harbor anger or bitterness against another person is, in God's eyes, a form of murder. Well, let's move on with the next set of verses. Jesus continues and says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, now these verses very directly follow the previous train of thought. Jesus is saying if there is some ongoing feud uh, between you and somebody else, whether you wronged them or they wronged you, if you're harboring a grudge, if you're harboring resentment against somebody else, Jesus says do not hesitate to make matters right between the two of you. Even if you're in the middle of a, of a worship service right now, he says that's more important, okay? Uh, that's how seriously Jesus takes this matter of anger and of forgiveness. Moving on, verse 27 and following, you have heard that it was said, so again, there you see that pattern. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, so it's not just the physical act um, of, of like sleeping with somebody who isn't your spouse. Jesus says even the desire, the, the fleeting thought to do that constitutes lust and constitutes adultery. And then let's read the last set of verses. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black or white. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Okay, now this one gets a little bit more complicated. Um, basically, the idea, though, here is that the, the Pharisees had, like, levels of oaths, okay? So if you swore by God himself, uh, then, they were, then they would consider your, your words uh, a bit more binding than if you simply were swearing by your own head. Okay, so uh, if you didn't keep some of your vows, but you had sworn on a lesser thing, right? Maybe it's the vow that you made to your wife or to your husband, um, but you swore, you swore that vow on a, a lesser power or authority, then they would have said it wasn't as big of a deal. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says that really no oaths at all should be taken or they, they shouldn't need to be taken, right? Why do we take the oaths, though? It's because we are false and deceptive people by nature that we find it so necessary sometimes to rely on swearing and oath-taking. Okay, so that brings us to the end of our verses. Now we're going to um, just really consider the, the main point of all of this. Um, and to really get into that, we need to talk about something called, we'll call it the Pharisee standard of living, okay? This was the one that really marked the religious scene of Jesus' day, okay? The, we tend to treat the word Pharisee like it was a, a dirty word, um, but the Jews of Jesus' day really strove to be like the, the Pharisees, okay? In their eyes, the Pharisees, these were the, the heroes of faith. These were um, like, like the, the, the giants of uh, faithful devotion to God, okay? So if you could attain the kind of devoutness that these Pharisees had, well then, God would be lucky, right? God would be lucky to have you uh, on his side, okay? So, um, when you look at the crowds that are scattered around Jesus, not just here in this section of Matthew, but throughout the Gospels, they're almost always filled with two types of people, okay? There were those who thought that they were good and that they were righteous, and then there were also those who knew they were bad, right? You had those who believed they had risen to the occasion of God's law, 
And then there were also those who could only hang their heads in shame because they knew they had not kept God's law. Jesus' message, though, here to both groups is really the same. Whether you're self-righteous or self-loathing, his message is one for both. And it is a pretty shocking revelation, one that really would have turned the entire um, the entire Jewish way of thinking, the entire Jewish religion even, on its head at that time. Because Jesus is saying to all of them, whoever you are and whatever you might think about yourself, the truth about you is this. You are worse than you ever imagined possible. You Pharisees, you pat yourselves on the back for, uh, for not killing somebody, right? For maybe not even physically harming another person. But I tell you, if you have even hated, burned with anger, held onto a grudge against somebody else, in God's eyes, that makes you a murderer. And maybe you fall on the other end of the spectrum, Jesus says. And if that's true, you might think that you're the scum of the earth because you, you cheated on your spouse, maybe, or because you, uh, you broke a, a, a big promise that you made. But I tell you, right, that pattern, but I tell you that long before any of those external actions ever happened, you were already an adulterer first, by the lusts of your hearts. You are already a duplicitous deceiver in your soul. There's, there's a little bit of irony in all of this, I guess, um, because Jesus was often accused by the Pharisees of being somebody who either watered down the law or, or didn't really care about God's law. Here, though, what do we see? Jesus takes those commands, he takes, he takes us to a, a level of obedience far deeper than those Pharisees even would have ever dreamed to be necessary, right? Jesus is shattering um, a, a massive and very commonly held view, and it's not just a view that was held by the Pharisees and by the, the religious Jews of Jesus' day. It's a view that's been held by every single society on earth, by every individual that has ever lived, and yes, uh, even of every Christian, even by every Christian that I've ever met, and that definitely includes myself. You see, we tend to judge people on the basis of action, right? If I cheat on my spouse, for instance, that action makes me an adulterer. If I break into a person's house and steal their, their personal belongings, that action makes me a thief, right? If I stab someone in the chest and take that person's life, that act, makes me a murderer. But now in what Jesus says here, we still might miss the point of it all um, because Jesus is actually bringing this to even a deeper level than we often would uh, because it isn't even my first thought of hatred that makes me a murderer, okay? It isn't even uh, my, my first covetous or greedy thought that makes me a thief. It isn't even uh, my first thought of lust that makes me an adulterer. It is even deeper than all of that. In Matthew 7, verses 7 through 18, uh, Jesus elucidates the utter depth of it all. 
by comparing us to trees. Here's what he says. He tells us every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree, but a bad tree bears what? Bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. We need to make a really clear distinction here, right? It isn't my fruit which determines the type of tree that I am. And so it isn't my actions or even my thoughts, thoughts which God himself can read, which make me a bad tree. The problem is that I am by nature the bad tree. You are by nature the bad tree, right? It's a fact. Um, It's the fact that I am already an adulterer by nature, which causes adultery, whether that's in the lustful glances of my eyes or in a full-blown extramarital affair, right? It's the fact that I am already a deceiver by nature, which causes my deception, whether it's just in some of the duplicitous thoughts of my mind or whether it is an outright lie that I tell somebody. Okay, so even if my eyes were gouged out, even if my hands and my feet and my tongue were chopped off, the fact that I am an adulterer to my core would still cause adulterous lust after pretty girls in my head, right? The fact that I am still a deceiver would cause, even if I don't have a tongue to tell a lie, the fact that I am a deceiver would cause thoughts of deceit to run through my head. And so it isn't eyes and hands and tongues that cause sin. It's the very fact that the roots of every single sin live in every human heart. This is the true problem. I lie. Why? Because the roots of deception exist in the duplicity of my sinful heart. I devote myself to things other than God. Why? Because those roots of idolatry exist in the idolater that is my sinful heart. Society can't see the roots of who I really am, right? Just as Jewish society couldn't see the sinful hearts and minds and selves of the Pharisees. Uh, but But before the eyes of the judge, the judge, who sees not just actions and thoughts, but who sees hearts laid bare before him, your identity as a person is far worse than you ever imagined possible, okay? Uh, Have you ever worried before of what someone would think about you if they saw what you said and they saw what you did behind closed doors? Right, when you thought no one was looking when you knew that nobody was watching. Well, God sees not just what you do, not just even what you think. God sees who you are down to the very DNA and core of your nature and your being. And if that doesn't terrify you, then I submit that you are probably a Pharisee. Okay, that you are doped up on yourself and that you are completely beyond the grips of the reality that is your life. Right? According to these verses and Jesus' 
own words from his own mouth, there's an awful lot of hell and punishment awaiting people just like me. Okay? That there is a sentence awaiting us at our judgment that we do not want to face. So the question we need to ask now is this. How on earth can we possibly be saved from all of this mess? How can somebody who is as bad as me possibly find any leniency, any reprieve at all when the day of judgment comes? I mean, just think about it. Why why would Jesus even bother wasting his breath to tell people this? What point, what purpose could there possibly be? Well, in Ezekiel 36, Old Testament book of Ezekiel 36, verse 26, we find something interesting uh, because God is speaking to a very rebellious nation. He's speaking to Israel who had totally gone off the rails. They didn't worship him any longer. They had turned away from God, in which you would think when God comes to speak to them would be bringing a whole lot of judgment and condemnation. But here's what God actually says. He tells them, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Okay, so we can't remedy our problem by starting to chop off body parts, right? Jesus isn't advocating for any kind of self-mutilation here. Uh, Rather, Jesus was exposing the false argument that people of his day, that people throughout the centuries have raised about eyes causing lust and hands causing thievery and things like that. The truth, though, is that we need our hearts, hearts which foster such evil, to be removed. We need the very nature of ourselves to be stripped away from us and replaced a heart of stone and a spirit of disobedience replaced by a heart of life and by a new spirit born of the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what Jesus is here to do. He is the one who accomplishes this on our behalf. And he does it by by fulfilling and completing the law, all of God's law, every single last one of God's, uh, God's righteous requirements for us. Not only in his actions and in his words, not even just down to the holy thoughts, Jesus fulfills all righteousness and obedience in his very heart and being and at the very core of his identity itself. Okay, it isn't just that Jesus never committed adultery or even never had a lustful thought, okay? It's that Jesus just wasn't an adulterer from whom such impurities might ever even arise, right? It's not as though Jesus just didn't lie or have uh, deceitful thoughts. It's that Jesus wasn't a deceiver at his core from whom uh, such poison and venom might flow. Okay, so Jesus didn't only do and say and think everything that we were supposed to do and say and think. At the very center of his being, Jesus is the chaste one, the the source of love and purity. 
at the very core of his identity, Jesus is the truth, the source of fidelity and faithfulness. At the very deepest level of his heart and his spirit, Jesus is righteousness from which all obedience and holiness can only come. You see, Jesus wasn't just good. He isn't even merely great. Jesus is even better than you ever imagined possible. And we see how good he is all the way down to the core. Jesus was perfect in his righteousness according to God's law. And so he was also perfect in his obedience to his father. And that's the obedience which led him to a different hill, one called Calvary. And here Jesus demonstrated just how how truly wonderful he is. He does this by dying for you. Jesus, the, the chaste one, died for you, the adulterer. Jesus, the truth, the truth incarnate, dies for you, the deceiver. Jesus, the Son of God himself, dies for me, the idolater. Jesus is that good because he is the lover of the souls of people who are that bad. Just like me and you. But Jesus doesn't keep all of that goodness and holiness and righteousness all for himself, right? He rips out the old, stony hearts of sinful human beings. But he doesn't just leave a giant, gaping hole there uh, so that we can fill it up ourselves, so that the world can fill it up with all kinds of, of, of different wickedness and evil, right? He replaces your old heart of stone and now gives you his own heart, the heart of life. I'll take that, Jesus says, of your dead and and withered heart. And now I will give you myself. And when we receive Jesus' own uh, living heart of righteousness through faith in him, God no longer sees you as you used to be. He sees you as Jesus is. Now, if you're a Pharisee, if you are high on yourself, if you are proud and self-righteous, if you think that that you're not quite as bad as all of that, or at least as bad as other people, um, then I need to say that the next message isn't exactly for you, okay? You can ignore what I'm about to say because if that's you, it means that you still need to be broken of yourself. It means that you are holding on to an image of yourself that is not true, an image of yourself that puts you on a pedestal higher than you ought to be, okay? Um, But if you are a broken and sorrowful uh, sinner to the core like myself, uh, who clings not to your own identity for your security, but who instead grabs hold through faith to the person of Christ, then you need to hear this, that you have been made better than you ever imagined possible, okay? You are purer than your past would ever suggest of you. You're holier now than you could ever know. You're more truthful than you ever dreamed you could be. You're you're, you're more radiant and beautiful in the eyes of your God 
than you ever imagined possible, not because it's your purity, your holiness, uh, your truthfulness, your own radiance, your own beauty, but because Jesus has given you his purity, his holiness, his radiance, and his beauty. And when we come to understand how God the Father now sees us through Jesus Christ, it changes the way that we view ourselves and it changes our lives in this world, right? Jesus and his righteousness are not meant to be some excuse to live in in sin and evil, right? Jesus isn't meant to be some means of cheap grace so that we can just go on living and doing, living however we want, doing whatever we want, because, hey, we can just, you know, come back to the cross afterward. Jesus has changed us. And so we can no longer be who we once were. After all, how can a good tree bear bad fruit. And that message of grace coupled with a changed life uh, is really the message that a woman learned about 2,000 years ago. She was on her face, her knees, down in the dust. An angry mob stood stood around her and clenched in their fists were stones, stones which were intended to be the instrument of her execution. That woman had been accused of sleeping around, and unfortunately those accusations were true. For her crime, the mob was about to punish her very very severely until Jesus intervened. With just a few sentences, Jesus uh, sent her accusers home and saved that woman's life. And after the crowd had dispersed and it was just Jesus and that woman left there, he asked that adulterous woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And the woman replied, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. But that's not where Jesus stopped, was it? Jesus had announced that message of forgiveness to her But then he followed those words up saying this, Go now and leave your life of sin. Now are we still going to wrestle with the the sin and the evil of our old natures? Absolutely. I mean, the reality is that that residual hostility against God and his holiness is still going to hang around. And that's just a further testament, right? That's just a further testament to the truth that you and I are worse than we've ever imagined. That's only part of the story, though, right? Jesus finishes the story with himself. And so when you look in the mirror, God doesn't want you to see some disgusting, worthless, incredibly uh, grotesque person staring back, right? When you look in the mirror, see Jesus smiling at you with those loving eyes, looking back at you and saying, My brother, my sister, you are better than you ever imagined possible because I have given you all of myself. Now give all of yourself to me. Amen.